when you don't know because you've never been there before, you know, uh, you don't quite believe it. That's the problem. You know, if you've never been there, you don't, you don't believe it. And uh, no matter how much we say it as coaches, no matter how much they see it on the wall or our practice facility, until they've done it, they don't, they don't quite believe it yet. And there were stretches during this game where I could see it in their face that they didn't, they didn't believe it that we could do it. And um, and what I was really most proud of was there was a there was a point in time late in the second, uh, late in the third quarter, where um, the look in their eyes changed. You know, and I talked about. It, I said, look, we have two choices now. We either figure out how to get stops and be tough enough to stay with our stuff on offense, or we're going home. There are, there's no other choice. I wish I could give you a third, but there is no other choice. So that's great coaching, right? We either win or we go home. So um, It is. <laughs> that was Gino Ariema. When OGs talk, you listen. I thought that that highlighted so well what veteran leadership on a team is or lack thereof, right? It's hard to do it without a player or players that haven't been there and done it before and can help the others believe. That being said, college basketball, the tournament, the playing field, a lot of the time can be even where you're dealing with two teams that don't have any players that have done it before. And that's where the coach comes in and the OG that Gino is. I just love listening to him drop jewels. This is the Hezzy, March 30th, episode 33. I'm going to start off with the women's tournament because I do what I want. Why didn't somebody tell me Kyle Lowry was playing for Baylor? You see little Ursan out there looking like Kyle Lowry? Looking like a little Hulk out there? She got a nice little mid-range pull-up game. Look, man, to me, if you're a Baylor fan this morning, you got to be salty. I don't blame you, right? The game... Completely turned when Dee got hurt. She grabs the hamstring. And, you know, my daughter goes, oh, maybe it's a cramp. Maybe it's a cramp. And, you know, that's, I think, what you all hope for. But as soon as you realized it wasn't a cramp, you knew she was done. You don't get bit on the hamstring like that and return to the game. And the problem being, you gotta, you owe it to her to let her try to go out there, right? At this point, her last college game, she has to tape it up and at least try. And that probably hurt the team a little bit the few minutes that she did hobble up and down the floor, but you could just feel the momentum completely swing after Baylor had stolen it, right? Because they were they they came out the gate stumbling. Looked like UConn was going to blow them off the floor. They recovered, and then that happened, and it just completely changed the momentum. UConn goes on a run. To Baylor's credit, man, they battled, they battled. Carrington really carried them offensively, and again, if you're a Baylor fan, you're salty, right? The no call at the end. Didi getting hurt. You feel like the game was taken from you. I get it. As far as the no call at the end goes, look, in live speed, in real time, it didn't look like a foul to me. It really didn't. It looked like they stayed vertical. I think if those, if the defenders would have left their feet, for sure you blow the whistle. But because they stayed down, I was fine with the no call. And then you look back, you freeze frame the arms coming down on the elbow, and obviously there could have been a whistle there. The reality of it is, though, Paige Becker's, Huge performance from her. UConn, Gino, the legend that he is. They're going to get the whistles. 
That's just what it is. I, I mean, you can be upset about it. And of course, when it happens to you against your squad, you're going to be upset about it. That's just what it is. Just like the Lakers and LeBron will get the whistles come playoff time. The star power, the historical teams, that's part of it. That, that goes along with it. So UConn uh, narrowly escapes and keeps it moving. I think we're going to see a Louisville-UConn championship. Louisville has Stanford today. Arizona advanced yesterday. That girl, Aria. Very nice. There, there's some nice guards. Anyway, those of you that aren't interested in college ball or women's hoops, I get it. That's cool. This is one week of the year that I'm going to be talking about it on the Hezzy, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Moving on to the NBA. Evan Fournier made his debut for the Boston Celtics. Bro went 0 of 10. That's what you get for wearing the number 94. What's with these dudes wearing all these weird numbers now? Is that going to become a trend? I don't like that. If you're going to wear a number anywhere over into the 30s, you got to be big. You can't be, you can't be a 6'6 wing and wear number 94. It just don't work. No, but you know, he, you could tell that he was tight and he had too much adrenaline. Every shot was hitting the back of the rim. They were clean looks. He botched some bunnies, some open layups. And if you think about it, Fournier, he's never had any pressure in Orlando. I mean, it's all relative. You know, a lot of players put pressure on themselves and hold themselves to a standard. But now you're coming into Boston. Fans were let back in the arena, by the way. Not a ton of them, right? But to be their savior, if you will. Now, a rational Celtics fan would say, well, you know, I mean, what can you really expect from Fournier? He's going to help a little bit, right? But how many rational Celtic fans are there, right? So he's coming in to be the savior for this season for the Celtics. So I think he felt the pressure. I wouldn't be too concerned if I were a Celtics fan. Fournier is a good shooter, and I think he's a good competitor. You know, it, it may take him some time to adjust and, and, and get accustomed and get the nerves off, but that's what you saw with him last night. So that didn't help their cause. They came storming back late on like an 18-2 run or something, and once again, you see the Pelicans struggle to close out a game. We've talked about their pace, right? They have no run game. They can't slow it down and execute. It's just a track meet the whole way, and so that inevitably allows a team to get back in it. You saw Tatum get loose late. Tatum, Walker were just doing a you-go, I-go type of thing, but it was working late. My question is, down the stretch now, B.I. hit a huge step-back jumper to kind of seal the deal, but there were so many ugly possessions late for the Pelicans in the half court. Why wouldn't you clear out and post up Zion late? Force them to send doubles, overload one side, and just simplify it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't see enough of that late. I, 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 you would think that that would be the Pelicans' go-to knockout punch. Clear out, throw it to Zion on the right block, and just force them to send help and, and just let him operate. Let him get to the line, whatever the case may be. And, you know, initially when they hired Stan Van Gundy, I liked it. You look at Ingram, you look at Ball, Zion is very coachable, and I, I think they needed an in-your-face guy. So I liked the move initially, but the more I watch them, the more I'm starting to think that Stan Van Gundy may get the quick axe. You know what it appears like to me? He kind of has an unsaid agreement where he's told them, hey, if you guys dig in and focus defensively, I'll give you freedom offensively. I just want you to defend. That's kind of what it looks like, but I, that, that's fine for some of the game. You know, in the closing six minutes, they need some structure offensively. In typical Celtic fashion, their telecast thought they got robbed late. Uh, they were complaining about a Marcus Smart flop on a screen, he said, on Steven Adams. 
here's the problem. Even if Steven Adams did blow up Marcus Smart on that screen, Marcus Smart flops so much, he's not going to get that call late in the game. That's the cost of constantly flopping on the floor. Late, they're not going to call it because they don't believe him. They, they, you know, he has a reputation for that. So there, there, therein lies that problem. And so Boston takes the L, and they currently sit in the seventh seed in the East. I'll talk more about the standings here in the Eastern Conference as I talk about this Bucks team. Let me get on my old man shit here for a second, though. So the Memphis Grizzlies last night, they beat the Houston Rockets pretty handily. Big game from Jonas Valanciunas, 30 and 15. Every time I turn on the Grizzlies, I'm like, dang, he probably needs some more touches. Like he scores so easily. Sometimes you see him get six, seven touches in a game. I, I understand that styles make fights, but on most nights, most teams aren't equipped to deal with him. But last night they fed him the ball and he dominated. Now, Ja finished with, you know, a, a, a modest 12 and 8, 12 points and 8 assists. Clock's winding down. He waits for it to hit the 0-0, the zero, zero, right? Because otherwise it would have been disrespectful. He goes up and he hits a nasty East Bay funk dunk. For those of you that don't know what that is, that's a between-the-legs dunk. Isaiah Ryder, straight out the town. Go look it up. But you know what? To me, it just looked thirsty. It looked thirsty. You know what it looked like? It looked like he knew, hey, man, I didn't really, you know, I didn't shine in this game. If I do this, it'll be all over Instagram, all over Bleacher Report and ESPN, and it'll make the highlight packages. It wasn't even within the game. It was after the game, but it was kind of like a look at me type of thing. And I'll tell you what, though, Ja, if you want to impress me, go get up a couple hundred threes after the game. With the lights dim and the cameras off, go get up a couple hundred threes after the game. Go work on that release if you really want to impress me. But hey, I get it. The Graham loved it. The Clippers have won six straight. But what's more impressive is they've done it with a banged up roster. No Patrick Beverly, no Serge Ibaka, and now Paul George is out with a sore foot. Has anybody ever had more sore things than Paul George? Right, It's never like, oh, a sprained knee or back spasms. It's just a sore this and a sore that. All right, let me leave Pandemic P alone. Let me leave him alone. So the Clippers, they kind of thumped the Bucks last night. And they did it with 41 points from a starting backcourt of Luke Kennard and Reggie Jackson. I said, Ty Lue, you got to play Kennard. Give him a shot. But now he has no choice and Kennard is low-key producing. Terrence Mann isn't getting enough love. Terrence Mann has been an integral part of their success you know, uh, post-All-Star break. He's, he's quietly been coming along. And I'll tell you what, man, them Florida State dudes, they've got a type, right? It, it's very much like Villanova. You, you draft a Villanova guy, you know he's going to be a tough, hard worker. You draft an FSU kid, and he's going to be a high-motor athlete. And that's what Terrence Mann is. So it was a good team performance. And it just seems, for whatever reason, like this iteration of the Clippers with Surge out, Paul's been in and out of the lineup, but no Beverly. They're finding some sort of better chemistry. Chemistry is funny like that. If it, There's no science to it, right? Otherwise, everybody would just lock in. And so you don't know how to find it until you find it. And the Clippers seem like they found it with, with this, this version. Now, the Bucks, after winning eight in a row, I heard a lot of people talking about, well, they figured it out. It's a wrap. They've won eight in a row. Look at this. They got P.J. Tucker. They've dropped three straight. P.J. Tucker is now out with a calf injury. At his age, that can linger. That could be a season thing. That could be a season-long thing, unfortunately. 
I remember I was out a whole summer with this strain calf. The shit's nuts. Anything on the posterior chain? We were talking about KD yesterday, right? Anything along the posterior chain. So I'm talking lower back, glutes, hamstrings, and then even all the way down to your calves. Those type of injuries, those soft tissue injuries to the backside, if you will, they linger. They linger like a bad fart, man. So we'll see, you know, how they deal with that with PJ. And look, the Bucks, they're secured. They also are missing Bobby Portis, who's been very vital to their bench, right? He's out with COVID protocol. They're locked into the third spot. If you look at the standings here, you've got Brooklyn and Philly battling for the first spot. And the Bucks, they're going to be cool at three. The thing is, four through eight right now in the East is separated by one game. One game. It, you Damn near through nine. I, it, you've never seen anything like it. And then you consider the play-in game. And here's what I'm getting at. That's cool. The Bucks are going to have the third spot, but depending on how things shake out at the bottom, they could find themselves in a first round matchup with a Boston or a Miami. Needless to say, that might not be too pleasant for them. I'm not saying they don't get past them. I'm just saying you don't want to see them in the first round, right? You'd much rather catch a Charlotte or a New York or a team with much less experience. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun finish. Warriors, Bulls. Steph back. I think one thing is clear, though. His booty will never be the same. No, but for real, it was a it was a gutty, a tough performance from Steph. All the cliches you want to say. Every time he landed, you know, you could see he was still in pain. I was questioning if he was hurt. I thought, you know, the way the Warriors have been getting thumped and rolling over lately, I was like, yo, are they tanking? Are they just sitting Steph, right? But clearly, he's still, he's still in pain, so... I don't know, it's precarious, but he, he had a big night, 30-some points, bunch of threes, typical Steph fashion, was in God mode with his behind-the-back dribbles and all that. Now, James Wiseman back in the starting lineup, they've just put him in a lot better position to succeed. Some high pick-and-rolls, he had a career-high four blocks. I'll talk more about Wiseman and, and some of the others' performance in today's breakdown on my Patreon. I break down every Warrior game of the season, go check that out. But I do want to talk a little bit about the Bulls here. Vucevic in his second game, he played well. He's a guy that's easy to integrate, right? Because of his IQ, uh, the dribble handoff, the high post, right? He's not a guy that you have to adapt around. He can just fit in. And I think they knew that. Zach Levine, quiet night for Zach last night. He got clamped up by his former teammate, Andrew Wiggins. Y'all forgot they played together in Minnesota. He went four of 16 for 12 points. Warrior fans, you know, two-way Wiggs, Wiggins Island. Look, it won't become a real thing until he does it in a playoff matchup. That's the reality of it. But it's trending that way. It's trending that way for Wiggins. And, you know, whenever two former teammates match up, there's always someone that has a psychological advantage. As good as Zach has gotten, I would venture to guess that back when they were playing together in Minnesota in their matchups and practice and playing with each other, Wiggins in the back of his mind probably remembers getting the better of him. And so that helps whenever you match up against a former teammate, whoever has that psychological advantage. And then the defender always has the advantage the more familiar you are because he knows the tendencies. As an offensive player, your bag is your bag. And, you know, Zach has a dynamic one. Zach, to be fair, look, when Zach is going, there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter who's on him. You could put prime Kawhi on him. If he's hitting the, you know, the step back threes, that's what it is. But I think there was a little bit of a, a former teammate thing going on there where Wiggins knew his tendencies. 
and kind of had a psychological one-up on Levine. That certainly helped the Warriors' cause last night. Patrick Williams looking real Kawhi-like for them Bulls, man. He, he gets right to that elbow, had a bunch of little mid-range pull-up jumpers. Look, he gets way more elevation than Kawhi does today. I, I can't remember what Kawhi's midi looked like in San Antonio in his younger days. I don't think he took as many. But Williams, he has more elevation with those young legs, but it's it's that same straight up and down, super on balance, high release at the same position. And then he has a floater, a big hand floater. Most guys, you can see him spin it or flip up the floater. His ass be palming the ball, right? He just like lets it go in the air. It's a big hand floater. All while not even blinking. There's a lot of Kawhi qualities to him. I don't want to, you know, put that weight on his shoulders, but it's undeniable aesthetically. And then also kind of the way he carries himself, right? Just kind of like robotic, not a lot of emotion. It was a a high-paced game, and the Warriors break their losing streak and get the win over the Bulls. Now, Russell Westbrook having a triple-double isn't news to me, but the numbers he put up last night, I would be a hater not to bring it up. 35 points, 21 assists, and 14 rebounds in a win against the Indiana Pacers. No Bradley Beal. He had a hip contusion. And Russ, man, he just, you know, his motor is elite. He Does Russell Westbrook have the greatest motor of all time? Now, you may be able to point to somebody that has a similar motor, but with that athleticism. Right, it's one thing to have a motor. It's another thing to have a motor with that athleticism because you need a bigger motor to push that and drive that athleticism. So, monster game from Russ. The Wizards get the win. My guy, who's a Pacers fan on Patreon, he was asking me about the direction of the Indiana Pacers and what I think that they should do moving forward. And I had to think about it for a while, looking at their roster. Karis LeVert is back playing. Good to see. You know, If I'm the Pacers in this particular draft, because it's so loaded, I'd try to trade up into the top five. They've got a lot of nice players. Brogdon, Sabonis, Turner, uh, TJ Warren hopefully comes back, you know, uh, Levert. They got a lot of of nice players. I think that they're well run. The obvious thing is they're not going to attract anybody in free agency. No one's going to go play in Indiana. It has to be through the draft. So you look at a team like, say, the Detroit Pistons, who is desperate to be relevant and make the playoffs, could you possibly package a a Brogdon and a Turner for, you know, a number four pick, a number five pick? And then what you do if you're the Pacers is you've got to take a big swing. You can't take the safe prospect. If you could get somehow an Evan Mobley or a Jonathan Kaminga, a guy with a super high ceiling, because, look, I like Sabonis. He is an all-star. But he's not a franchise guy. He's not a guy that's going to put you over the top and make you a contender. He's got to be your number two option. So if I'm Indiana, I hold on to Sabonis and I try to, again, take a big swing and get a high draft pick. I would say you could possibly trade for a Brad Beal or someone like that. But again, the problem is retaining these guys. And so, again, it has to be done through the draft. And they have the capital to go move up and get that pick, particularly If you look at a Detroit or a Minnesota, some of these franchises that, again, they're just tired of being at the bottom. I don't think they have the patience to wait on some of these young guys. Tonight, Denver in Philadelphia. I'll get my first look at AG in the Mile High City. I know he's played a game or two. Hawks and Suns should be a lot of offense. 
right? And then you've got Louisville, Stanford on the women's side of the brackets. I'll be checking for that one. This is the Hezzy brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out, y'all.